0: certainly be a a marker of God's faithfulness. But if you only have that transactional model, then what happens if you don't get the car? If you don't get the spouse, then it all kind of falls apart. And so you might still drudge along still going to church. um, But I also wouldn't be surprised if there's this um, distrust that comes from the church and even towards God when you feel like, well, I did the if and the then never showed up. Welcome back to Tesserai. I'm Bob. And I'm Steve. We're glad to
1: have you joining us as we explore the integrated Christian walk in light of the ways that it's been dismantled.
0: If you find yourself in distinctly Christian environments, it's not difficult to hear about the prosperity gospel, positivity preaching, and a sort of good news gospel. Maybe you or those you know follow some of those pastors, teachers, celebrities as they provide you an uplifting message about what God is going to do for you, what God thinks of you, and how your current situation is not your final destination. And on the other hand, maybe you or those around you condemn that type of preaching and message, seeing it as demonic, manipulative, a distortion of the gospel. In this circle, it's not hard to find detractors who claim to hold onto the gospel proper, like what it truly is, which is Christ dying for the sins of humanity on an old rugged cross and rising again in three days. We will tip our hand here and say that we're far from the former, but it is our desire to examine and understand, not to simply cast judgment. Where does this feel-good prosperity gospel come from? Why does it have such an appeal, not only in the U.S., but in other countries as well? And before jumping on our biblical and theological high horses, what are those condemning prosperity gospel missing? These questions may help us understand a lot socially, but it's ultimately a desire to understand the gospel more fully. So with that understanding, maybe a question to start us off with is, Bob, in your opinion, uh, how would you define the prosperity gospel?
1: In its broadest sense, the prosperity gospel is the message that God wants you to be healthy, to be happy, to be wealthy, to have not just what you need, but to have it in abundance. Uh, Often it's linked to the finished work of Christ, uh, that we are victors in Christ. And so uh, all we must do is uh, depend on God for his goodness and his blessing, and he will give it To us. Now, there's a lot of nuances, there's a lot of variations of the prosperity gospel, but I think at the core, it's this idea that we are meant to live a good life now.
0: Yes, I would agree with that. I also think that it includes certain aspects of what I called earlier the gospel proper. And I I think that sometimes can make it a little bit more confusing or seemingly safe um, in some circles. Because it's not as if it's the message of the prosperity gospel is like, actually, God didn't die for your sins, or um, God only uh, wants you to be rich on this earth, that kind of thing. Right. It, most, most prosperity preachers, at least that, that I can think of that are well known, are not going to go against that basic gospel narrative, um, but it's going to include more. And I, I think, honestly, like some of the most compelling lies are uh, come with the truth baked in. You know, um, so maybe it's a little bit harder to recognize from it. So I think it does include and maybe even emphasizes um, other temporal realities like you're getting at uh, personal richness and success and things like that. But it does include like a core of what the gospel is, which is um, probably makes it confusing. And as a result, I think the prosperity gospel can be understood as extra biblical at best um, and distorting of or even antithetical to the gospel itself.
1: And and like so many things, um, there's there is real truth embedded in that the the truth mm-hmm. of God's blessing, the the truth, uh, the reality that God will provide, uh, that God desires um, our our goodness. Like these these are all realities, but how that's defined really does get twisted uh, or or it gets redefined in a way that. Uh, well, we would say that's not actually the heart of the gospel or, or, or biblical. So if, if that's if this is the case, right, if, if we, you and I can say that it's extra biblical, that it's not really the gospel uh, in its fullness, even though there might be an affinity, then what's the appeal? Like, why is it uh, so popular in so many spaces? Not just in the United States. It's been exported to other places as well. So what, what do you think, Steve? Wh- wh- why does it get so much Traction.
0: I think for one, there's always a need. There's always need, and there's want, and perhaps those in impoverished or those who have far less are more susceptible to a message that's going to appeal to their uh, to, to helping them out, out of their current situation. But that can go that can happen if you're rich. That can happen if you're poor. In the middle, um, uh, and so I think that that appeal just kind of makes sense to me. Where you're like, man, I don't very practically. I'm coming to church and i'm here to worship the lord i'm living right um and also i don't know how i'm going to pay you know these bills uh, mm-hmm. i don't know how how i'm going to put food on the table for my kids our car is broken down i had to i had to you know carpool with someone to eat just to get here to church today those those kinds of things and so um when when life is really happening there's just those desires and those wants and i think it comes from a very it's a a very like the way that humans are designed, in a way, it's just misplaced. Ultimately, um, because we want a God who who can relate to us, we want a God who can connect to us, who can see our need and not ignore us. We wouldn't just go to church if it was, you know, we pro- most of us, at least in the West, probably would not go to church if there wasn't some kind of connection there where it's like, okay, God understands me, God God sees me, God knows what I'm going through. Um, but when you add a lens of I am really hurting right now. And I need a gospel that speaks to this. I'm really thankful that God died for my sins. I'm also wondering what he has to say about these everyday needs, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, when those happen, those realities are maybe put on pause while you're in church worshiping. But like they're going to come back and you pick them up right at the door when you leave or they come in with you. So um, that, that would just make sense. That would just make sense to me as to why it would feel appealing, you know?
1: Well, and I think there's uh, it's a very natural conclusion, in a sense, like we learn about God being a big God. We read the stories in the Bible, uh, of God doing miraculous things, uh, taking Israel into the land, of Jesus doing these incredible miracles, people being raised from the dead, and on and on. And we want to see that, right? We want to see God work in big ways. And we're being challenged by our pastors, uh, by our, our those that we're listening to, to see God as a big God, as a providing God. And so it makes sense that it's a very logical conclusion that, like, well, I have this need, and uh, it, it, why wouldn't God then... Do something great, so you can almost see a, a nugget of like good faith, uh, trust in God. There, uh, mm. I'm, I'm assuming that for for many people who have been caught up in this, there's there is a good faith element of like I just want to see God do something incredible. Um, the question then comes down to though is of course, it, it, are we actually trusting what God has promised, or is this something else that? we are kind of filling in the gaps. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the difference then between what God has promised and maybe what the prosperity gospel is promising. Uh, I, so I'm this, this Sunday I'm going to be preaching on Psalm 50 and uh, it's really this beautiful, it's this beautiful Psalm where God comes to Israel and he rebukes them uh, for their self-sufficiency. And he says, you know, I'm not not rebuking you for your sacrifices. You, they're always before me. You're regularly sacrificing, but I don't want, I don't want them. (laughs) I'm not going to accept them Hmm. because I have everything I need. I'm God. Uh, I wouldn't tell you if I was hungry. He says, here's how this works. You call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. That's the logic of a relationship with me. Hmm. And I think what Israel had done is they start started to think to themselves, they were actually benefiting God. It was sort of a, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of theology that, okay, well, we're going to give God a boost up here with these sacrifices. And then, you know, he'll probably help us out. And the prosperity gospel veers into that type of thinking where it's I, I do X, Y, and Z. I, I trust God, I have faith, whatever that faith looks like, and God gives me what I, I want or what I'm hoping will have. It's transactional. And the 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 nature of our relationship with God, though, is that He always provides out of His abundance and grace, and we live in constant dependence on Him. So that's 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 a good thing. Uh for, for us to live in that dependence on Him, trusting Him to provide. Uh, to make us uh, to have everything that we need, uh, but there is a difference between this transactional view and living in a daily dependence uh, on God's provision. And I think it's really instructive in in, in delineating between uh, a prosperity promise and what the Bible promises. And looking at something like Matthew six, where Jesus uh, teaches us to pray, and His prayer is, "Give us today our daily bread." Um, he doesn't say give us today a lottery. He doesn't say give us today a windfall. He, he says give us what we need for today. And and so when you look at something like Psalm 50 and then Matthew 6, you realize God will always give us what we need to live, to live in Him, with Him, to follow Him. But uh, what we actually need and maybe what we actually want. Uh, don't don't always line up and and doesn't necessarily fall under that same umbrella.
0: Yes, we're supposed to be podcast hosts, man. The word transactional was th- that was that was there for me as well. I was thinking that I'm like this this feels very transactional in nature. I don't have a lot to add there, just because I, I think you really covered it. But I think it it is peppered with those types of examples from the Bible when if and so if a a perp- a person is. Uh, coming to church and they are listening and trust their pastor, their successful pastor, their successful preacher to share with them. um, And they can give some type of biblical impetus for it. Then yeah, the, the transactional, model sort of seems like it works, you know? Um, and we've heard this from multiple passages, but things like, if you give the last of what you have in faith, maybe kind of like the widow did in Mark 12, who gave all that she had despite being impoverished, then God is going to bless you. This if then, uh, where we go through life with that. And maybe maybe we feel that more so in uh, this consumerist society. But I think that what we, what is important to remember is a lot of the world takes its cue from how we talk about things in the West as well and how we kind of do things in the U S and so um, I think there's also an example of that, where, where, where that kind of goes and um, how, how we go about actually preaching the Bible, you know Um, so that if then the relationship just, it just, it falls apart. But again, if you really need that new car and it's not always just financial either, you know, I, I, I've heard, you know, God has. I've I've had somebody prophesy over me when I was in college. Like they asked me, they asked me a few questions, like to get to know me, and then they were like, you know, do you, uh, are you seeing anybody right now? And I'm like, no. And they're like, that won't be for long. God is getting ready to bless you with your spouse. That was a few years ago, FYI. But um, (laughs) still, could happen, Steve. It's absolutely. I don't know what they what their timeline was, but it sure sounded more immediate. It sounded like when I was still in college. (laughs) But. And so the general idea was, you know, like keep doing what you're doing, like serving in this way, uh, stay faithful, you know, and then God's going to do that. But um, and that could certainly and certainly be a, a marker of God, God's faithfulness. But if you only have that transactional model, then what happens if you don't get the car, if you don't get the spouse? If it doesn't happen when the, the, right. the timing that you want, then it all kind of falls apart, and so you might still drudge along, still going to church, still, still like doing what you're, still investing, I guess. Um, but I also wouldn't be surprised if there's this um, distrust that comes from uh, from the church um, and even towards God when you feel like, well, I did the if, and the then never showed up. And that's so,
1: so important yeah. because then God becomes a promise breaking God. Right. When, when you put right. promises in God's mouth and he doesn't make good on them, then he becomes a promise breaker in your mind. And mm. that's not a good place to be because he's not a promise breaking God. He's a promise right. keeping God. Mm-hmm. But we have to actually be believing the promises that he himself has made.
0: Yeah. So I think I think when in identifying I could go back and could go back and I'm sure there's more. But it's those two parts uh, that that leave me pushing against so heavily against, uh, the prosperity gospel model, the one being this sort of irresponsible at least incomplete application of God's word in order to justify a message or a certain way that we're doing things now, we can all fall into that. And then number two, the praying on the most vulnerable of us, mm-hmm. you know, um, because again, you can have desires and wants and count and want God to like do things for you, but there's just some basic needs of not having enough food on the table of some very basic needs that a lot of the world actually feels that might be more inclined to hear a gospel that addresses that. And so when it doesn't happen, like it's, it can be shattering.
1: That the praying on the vulnerable is really a really important piece because while I'm doubt or while I'm sure that there are plenty of wealthy people who believe in the prosperity gospel as sort of a self, uh fulfilling prophecy i guess i don't know look i'm rich so it must have worked um I, I it seems to me that there's a ton of folks living in poverty who are seduced into this because it's their ticket out hopefully right. mm-hmm. uh and that's unjust because it's 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 promising uh hey god's going to do this without when, when, when the individuals who actually have them, the money, and the resources, especially some of these preachers who are getting super rich off these people mm-hmm. have the means to actually alleviate their suffering or their poverty, and they're not doing mm-hmm. it. They're just mm-hmm. preaching instead. I mean, that, that gets, uh, you, you've, you've got some, some real problems there.
0: Yeah, it, it's, it's very true. And I think the, that part about praying again is, um, Someone may end up being disenfranchised with God, leaving the church, being out of that. That is definitely a risk if you feel like I did the if part and then hasn't showed up and I've done this. But I think especially in the cases of extreme poverty, which the U.S. only feels to a degree. Right. So we know poverty to a degree. Uh, You can be very poor and and experience food insecurity here. You cannot have a home here. Um, But but we know like when it comes to what the average person makes. Um, the opportunities available that our poverty tends to pale in comparison to many other places. But I think it's still relevant. It's still relevant for, for, for anyone. Um, but being in those spaces, like the person may not leave. And I think the, the closer that someone is on the impoverished scale to poverty, like I think they might actually stay. And again, that's part of faithfulness. You don't know when God is going to act. So maybe the, the person preaching to you attaches a timeline, but maybe they don't. They just say, stay faithful. So the longer you go, yes, you're ready to get blessed. You're ready to get out of this hole that, that you were convinced God is going to take you out of. But also the longer that you stay with it, um, the more admirable that is. You know, So it ends up kind of being, I don't know if you remember when we were talking about conspiracy theories on some episode in the past, like it was like, these really don't get debunked or if it gets largely debunked, the people who fell for them or even the people who like perpetrated them or started them, they don't really like own those often. It's like, Oh, well we spread this bad information, but it didn't, it, nothing happened. Mm-hmm. So now you have this prosperity thing where I, w- I would guess, I'd be curious as if if this has ever been tracked, maybe we should do some homework in that area. But like, Proponents of and followers of the prosperity gospel <laughs> following their median income, like from when they first heard it to like whether the grave or when they got out of it, who ends up richer? I have an idea, but it's usually not it's usually not the laity. And so, um, but I think you just stay with it. And that's kind of seen as just you being faithful in a beautiful part. So it never actually gets taken apart, it never gets dismantled, even though there are so many problems with it. So kind of nothing happens, but something does happen. The prosperity preachers get richer. Suddenly a private jet is a more optimal way to share the gospel overseas instead of commercial flights out of nowhere. um, The tailored suits, the expensive haircuts, the booming savings accounts of the leaders are normal. But again, the congregation kind of looks the same. So it feels, eh, it's predatory, whether it's intentional or not.
1: Well, and I, yeah, absolutely Absolutely. Another thing that it does is it uh, it leaves out huge, really explicit parts of the Bible. Uh, think about how Jesus teaches on money. Uh, he's got a lot to say about the rich, and it's usually not super positive. It, it's <laughs> it's full of warnings. Not not that you know being rich is evil, et cetera. But you know, he says like it's really hard to actually be a Christian and be rich. Um, you think about what Paul says in. Uh, Shoot, I can't even remember where it is now, but he calls covetousness idolatry. You know, it's a it's a form of idol worship. Uh, you so we, we we have and and there's this there's this whole body of teaching on on generosity, like in Second Corinthians eight and nine where there are these explicit statements about like reaping sparingly because you sow sparingly. So Mm. you could take that and turn it into prosperity type thinking and saying, well, you got to give to get It's you know, sort of thinking of it like an investment. But the whole point of that is actually uh, using your resources, uh, realizing that God has given them to you, so that you can spend them for other people, and God will continue mm. to supply your needs, so that you can continue to give. And there's this beautiful, like, cyclone of generosity that you can get caught up in, and, mm. and you miss all of that if you if you if you leave out these uh, these texts, you you miss a really beautiful part of the Christian life. Okay, so. We 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 we're on the same page, right? The prosperity gospel is predatory. It's it twists scripture. It's it's not good. But we've also seen maybe why there's sort of a draw to it, why it might be attractive to some people. Now, one of the things though that you said at the beginning here was we all there's also folks out there who condemn the prosperity gospel who are maybe a little imbalanced, uh, who are you know, rightly critique it, but there's, it's kind of like, well, what's, what are they doing in place of it? And what, what did Mm. you mean by that? What what was kind of going on in your thinking there?
0: Uh, this is about to get messy. Um, (laughs) uh, I, I I'm sure there are multiple ways. And I mean, that's part of the point of this podcast, right. Is to try to understand, uh, the different, um, the different parts of the different parts of us that are, we are inconsistent on, um, where we've been hypocritical and to try to mm-hmm. fix those. So it's beyond just trying to critique somebody else or trying to judge somebody else, but to critique the church as a whole. But I think a part of that is this conversation on, this ongoing conversation on um, justice, particularly from a racial standpoint and like the church's level of involvement there and what we should do. And uh, some of the, I'm thinking of one in particular, but there are pastors, even well-known pastors and, and church leaders who would condemn uh would condemn prosperity gospel stronger than we have on on here so far you know and would blast it um and 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 could do that rightfully so but would be silent themselves on issues of biblical justice and what that means in our world today you know and so i think that's why you know at our opening as we were discussing like well I want to make it clear. I think we're clear that we don't agree or prescribe to the prosperity gospel, but I also just think, I'm trying to think well, have this conversation well about like, well, there are other detractors too, and I feel like they're missing something big. I'm sure we're missing things too, but those, those seem like, I'm like, that's that feels like it's just as dangerous. If you could not see uh, the Lord's connection to so much of what is happening in our countries, what's happening in the world, then... You're missing, and you're misleading, and you're deceiving, um, just like someone is. It just isn't as overt as someone who's wearing a white and gold suit and who has hundreds of thousands of followers and is begging for your money on a TV program, you know. Um, but it's still it's, it's it's still there. So I think that's why. I also like when we were we were when we were in seminary. Uh, I think we probably both are maybe at different levels. You sort of encounter the the theological fanboys, you know. So maybe you you park your camp. Um, on one side of an issue, you are, you, you hold this about women in ministry. You hold this about, um, you know, we call those our, the Theo bros, the Theo bros. Like, oh man, my, so my patience has grown thin, grown thinner for, for them. But I would say overall, like that, that would be part of the condemning. Like, oh, I want to point out these names, like the, pretty much the poster child for probably like prosperity preaching, but also like, um, Positivity preaching, which will I think we'll kind of transition to a little bit, is uh, Joel Olstein, and I'm like, you know, I, I've heard him get shredded for years. I don't prescribe to him. I don't agree with his overall message, you know. So I don't I don't rock with him. But I also haven't seen great orthopraxy from many of those Theo Bros, you know. So I'm like, I could rock with you with your orthodoxy, but right. I, as we've talked about countless times, and usually on the areas of race, I do need the orthopraxy too. So I just yeah I, th- I think that's probably why if that's what you were getting at i think that's why i feel yeah
1: that right. no absolutely well because this is this dynamic of the gospel like let's make sure that we get the gospel right conceptually theologically in terms of our f- orthodox formulations which is necessary yeah. work like neither of right. us are denying that but mm-hmm. uh it's sometimes too often i suppose uh, the work of formulating the gospel accurately uh, takes precedence over living out and applying the implications of the gospel faithfully. And we end up in these situations where it's like, well, those folks are not, pre- like they're they're calling that the gospel, but it's clearly heresy. Okay, great. What? How are you helping your people to think well about poverty? How are you modeling that? How are you helping them to understand what God's promises actually look like, and and living mm. in faithfulness in our world, and that has to be a there has to be a gritty realism to that kind of teaching. It has to actually get into the trenches where people are, and if we're not bringing the truth of the gospel to the real uh, lives, uh, the real suffering of our people, then are, is it really being applied? Right? Are, are we do do we uh, it comes back to that orthopraxy piece that you talked about. And, and, um, so anyway, yeah, I think, I think there's a connection, a a thread that we could probably follow in the same kind of, well, that's, that's evil, uh, but not addressing maybe a holistic perspective. We could follow that same type of, uh, method through conversations of of race, uh, justice, immigration, you know, fill in the blank uh, in, in terms of that orthodoxy orthopraxy breakdown.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When the, when the dust settles from this, as we transition a little bit to more of the positivity piece or arm of that, um, I think in summing it up, like what you were mentioning about God as a promise breaker now, cause you're bringing God into this. And as we've discussed multiple times on here, you attach God to your, you know, your, your nation's dream, to your nation's vision, yeah. Um, you can really do anything once you have the backing of the divine and i think that's a, a, a huge component of why we I, I think need to speak up against speak out understand and then speak out and discourage from the prosperity gospel because that that prosperity gospel gives our de, gives our natural desires the divine backing needed to fund those projects Ooh. you know <laughs> yeah. and it's a dangerous and, and place to be <laughs> it's a dangerous place to be yeah that that's helpful how we framed it yeah.
1: All right, but it's not just money, right? We're not the the, nope. the the prosperity impulse is not just about like be healthy and wealthy. There's another dynamic. There's maybe like a soft prosperity uh, kind of preaching out there. You mentioned it. It targets positivity. Uh, what, what do you mean by that? What does that look like?
0: Well, initially, what comes to mind is the gospel is an offensive message. <laughs> it's an offensive message when it is when it is preached uh to the unbeliever you know um, when and to the believer when we need to be reminded of the gospel when we are looking at the ways in which um ways in, in our lives in which we need god the gospel is offensive to those those sinful human nature pieces you know and so uh that can get hard as you know as, and there are people who are really committed to evangelism um and in those times like They want to go out and make sure they share the gospel with as many people as you can. And they're not usually seen in the best light, whether they're street evangelists or they go across. I think sometimes they they lack some uh, social awareness. Um, But that aside, preaching the gospel can be hard, is my point. And I think when you finally have a message, you can package the same Christian message, and it's the gospel meaning good news. And now you can call it good news gospel, sort of, because it's like... Do you know that this is who God is? God isn't this legalistic God who through the church you were hurt by when you were a kid um, that you were hurt by because you were misunderstood racially or sexually or in this, in, in these ways, like God is this guy that like is for you. He wants the best for you and who better to have your back than the, than God almighty, you know? So it, 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 it pulls people. And so it often takes on a seeker model, You know, and so, but you can pull tons of people in because you don't really have to wrestle with this. The many, many like seeker, seeker churches or seeker model model type churches uh, will not spend a lot of time on some of the more touchy subjects, you know, whether theologically or practically, but they will remind you that you are loved, that you are reminded that you belong here um, and, and, and empower you in that. So it's a great message. It's, it's just, (laughs) I guess it doesn't, it doesn't feel complete. And so the offensiveness of the gospel is kind of taken away. And so all of a sudden, like, if I have hangups with the church or not, I can actually kind of rock with this model. I'll share this. Like, who would have a problem with this? You know, so it's easier to share um, and it's easier to accept. You know, I don't think the, the transformation of your life has to be nearly as dynamic if you can give into the idea that God is just for you. And um, there's this divine benefactor that's like, that's got your back. So it's all good you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the idea of incompleteness, I think is a good word. Uh, it's not, it, it's missing parts, bits and pieces. We, we are exiles, right? Like we're, hmm. we are not at home in this world uh, and we're definitely not elites. <laughs> we're exiles, not elites in this world while we follow Jesus. Uh, and, and, and yet, there's this profound tension and maybe this is kind of part of the the problem we are loved more than we could comprehend can ever comprehend we we have this promise like in Romans 8 that god works all things our, our good. I mean, we have quite literally Ephesians one been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, I mean, you, you look at what the Christian has and we have an embarrassment of riches through mm. Christ. Like we, we are victorious, right? I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's Christus Victor and we are his. So you, we, we can't downplay those, but those riches are meant, like when we look at the whole, not just part, but the whole, those riches are experienced through our exile status. We, we are royalty while we are exiles. Hmm. The, those blessings are experienced and the goodness that God gives us is experienced through suffering in our groaning. It's interesting, the exile theme and the royalty theme, those are both right in First Peter the idea of God works all things together for our good and suffering both in Romans 8 uh, they're always paired they're, they're paired together the Christian life is one of glory and suffering mingled together and that's what makes it so amazing hmm. and so if we strip away the bits that feel unappealing to us because they're hard we actually we actually flatten God's glory and the glory of our salvation. So that's, I think, cause I'm, I'm trying to un, 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 untangle this idea, like, well, positivity, like what you've described obviously isn't great, but there is so much goodness. <laughs> like there,
0: there right, is so right. much
1: positive in the gospel. But I yeah. think, I think the idea of uh, it's incomplete when we just take the one and leave out the other.
0: Pastor Bob has joined the chat. I love it. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, there, there are a couple of things that you're right. It's there, there, there are positives here <laughs> again to really feel the, the piece uh, around us having a death sentence as Paul likens it to in second Corinthians. <laughs> this is a, this is bad. Things are bad. You're out there's nothing else to hope in put your hope in God because he's the only one who can save you. That's good news. That's positive, you know, but I think, uh, you know, we probably in our own lives, we're not as comfortable with as much nuance as we even would be in basic storytelling, which has been a part of what humans do since seemingly the beginning. We tell stories, we, we find ways, whether we do books or, um, or verbally or um, in film, whatever, we tell stories. And in and stor- and most stories, the ones that are considered good in our society are not the ones that are just positive across the board. They're ones that have a ton of hard things first. If you know the entire time that a character, like your main character in a movie, is going to, um, they're going to triumph or they're going to be fine and they don't experience any any, uh, pieces. It, it, it might feel good, but usually some of the critics will say the movie didn't take any risk, you know, or mm-hmm. it wasn't realistic. Mm-hmm. It wasn't believable. So similarly, um, yes, there is so much hard. There is, there is so much. And yet the, the beauty is what emerges at the top and staying in that sort of storytelling or kind of like a movie or a play or a book thinking through, um, the last time I talked about this, I think was on our leadership episode at the end of season one, was the the story and the, char- the characters have already been cast. And I think that this latest wave of positivity preaching, because it's not like this is just brand new and we've never seen this before, but just this latest iteration of it, is, I think, an attempt to sort of recast the central role in the story. Mm. Um, and so we're trying to say, you know, uh, like I think David and Goliath is a super popular one, right. Is to be like, you may not, you, you, you know, somebody will tell you the story, retor- you know, using masterful rhetoric maybe, and they'll tell you about David and they'll tell you about Goliath. They'll tell you about like the, the biggest, the first time that we had like a real underdog. This is the big story. And then after telling you the story, they'll, they'll now it's time to go into application phase. And that is some of y'all have some Goliaths in your life. Some of y'all have had some trials and some some giants that need to be conquered. Do you understand that God has your back? Do you understand um, that God is going to be the reason that you defeat your Goliath, that you do this? And then what is to come is apparently, you know, eventually he will, David will become who we know to be David, King David. And so that's real beautiful. But I think <laughs> what's more accurate is like the story isn't about David, really, like, David's like this, okay, we know he's this great character and this great person of faith for us, you know, Um, but he's also somebody who messed up really, really, really badly. And um, I think if, so that would be really disappointing to us if we only looked at David as like, yeah, I'm David. I feel with that. It's like the story's about God. And it's a people that he chose, and so he allowed them to be victorious. But the story is about God. He's got to be the, the main role in here. He's not just a, the distant benefactor, and he's also not a genie um, here to, like, just fulfill your wishes so that you can do what you want. David is not Aladdin, you know? And so those are actually fundamentally different. So that, that central role over who the story is about, it is crystal-centric. It is about Christ, mm-hmm. has got to stay. That can't be recast play the, play the background as the crate might say. So I think, I think that's a a big part of it. And then one other thing quickly that I haven't given a ton of thought to is just kind of mulling over is it's just a it's a pendulum swing. You know, if we think about the history of fundamentalism and think about the uh, the kick that some get out of just telling you how bad your life is without the gospel, you know, because I don't think that automatically makes you a good evangelist just because you're, you get in somebody's face and, Tell them like it is, um, like you have 100 percent truth, and you just forgot the lovey part of the equation. But that's happened so much. We've done so much with the name of God attached to it again that there was bound to be a pendulum swing, even within the church. And I think that's part of what this wave is. Is now, now you don't have to be like, ooh, well, this person says something really harsh, so I won't invite my unsaved friend to church, or I won't invite my friend who's been hurt by the church to this. But now you can share a video, a three or four minute clip of a preacher who is, they are dressed to the nines or they're dressed really like culturally appropriate, you know, to appeal to a younger audience maybe. And they're just going to tell you something really cool about this guy named Jesus, you know, <laughs> and that's, that's a big pendulum swing for what some have experienced in the church or even much of what the the uh much of the church's messages have been on different topics in the past. So that the the appeal, again, just like with prosperity preaching, makes sense. It's, it's incomplete, and it, it recasts the role of the central.
1: So I think that's maybe a good word to tie up on is we the theme of this podcast, the reason that we, we're doing this is to explore the integrated Christian life. We're always straining for wholeness. We're always uh, aiming to ask, what does it mean... To be fully Christian, truly and 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 holistically Christian, following Christ, and something that has come up over and over again is this idea of incompleteness of uh, bits and pieces of a flattened uh, perspective of the gospel, with the prosperity gospel, uh, but but even in what you described with fundamentalist. Uh, Kind of, you know, nasty preachers who are just all about you're going to hell and uh this is what you have to do, just say this prayer, you know, kind of that compressed um uh whatever. But in in all of that, (laughs) where this theme that keeps emerging is like we need all of Jesus. Mm -hmm. We need all of his word in all of our lives. And there's pendulum swings are dangerous because they, we, we correct and then we leave out other parts along the way. And we just need the slow movement towards all of Christ to submit all of life to him, to experience all of his goodness uh, in all of the complexity with all of the struggle and glory that comes along with that.
0: Yeah, I think what has sort of risen to the top in this discussion has been, I was thinking about this because alliteration is always helpful in remembering and driving home a point. But I was thinking like Christian leaders should ask themselves, but I also think, I actually think church members, uh, lady ought, ought to ask ourselves, are we praying or praying? You know, are we praying for those harsh social realities that many of us and others are going through to different degrees, asking God to intervene and even being willing to be called to action ourselves? Or are we praying on the hopes, fears, dreams of those less fortunate or who have had harsh experiences and we use their their efforts to follow us or whatever we make their giving the bedrock of an empire? like every discussion this one could go on and on um, but that feels like a, a natural stopping point for us so we'll probably come back to these some of these conversations and and try to explore more but thank you guys so much for joining us
1: yeah it's been a great conversation we'd love to keep it going uh, you can find us on social media at Tesserai podcast and we are now on Instagram we have finally arrived uh, join the uh, cool
0: kids club absolutely so you can see just in time for TikTok
1: You. <laughs> Oh no. You can see pictures of Steve's lattes on Instagram at <laughs> Tesserai Podcast uh, and comment there. We'd love to keep the conversation alive. Well, thanks so much for joining us. We will see you next time. This has been Tesserai.